Thanks, Todd. That was great. Great announcements. Let's give him a hand. He does great announcements. Right? Uh, somebody's got to do it. Um, welcome. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad you're here today. And um, welcome to all of our baby dedication families. We're glad you're here as well. Get extended families in. And we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> and um, it's not getting any easier. So just, just to let you know, uh, we're going to dig back in. So we're in Matthew 5. We're going to start at verse 43b, or almost 44, whatever you call it, uh, the passage about loving your enemies. Uh, so if you want to open your Bible there, open your phone to that app and not Instagram, go for that. And uh, I'm going to pray and get us started. So... Father, we're just so grateful for this day, and we, we do, we come into your courts with thanksgiving and praise, and we give you uh, what is due, which is glory and honor and power, might and wisdom, and we lift up Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, and uh, we've come uh, under your authority, Jesus, as the leader of this church, the leader of your body, the head. And so this morning as we open your word, as we listen to your teachings, you said that the Holy Spirit, whenever we come to you, would actually move into our life and teach us about all things. So we invite your Holy Spirit this morning into this room to teach us. So uh, we just love you, Jesus. We love your ways, even things that we don't understand or things that are difficult to do. We still love them. We know they're right. So help us this morning as we talk about your words in your name. Amen. Amen. So, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus, it's interesting, he's dealing with, with a passage here that obviously they had heard in the Old Testament to love your neighbor, but clearly somewhere along the way, another phrase had been added in popular religious culture that's not actually in the Old Testament. It never says in the Old Testament to hate your enemy. This is something that got added somewhere along the way, and obviously people had heard that it was okay to hate your enemy. It was okay to hate someone who was unlike you or differed from you or did something to you um, that was unjust. And Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 not so with you. And so many times Jesus is coming into our lives and he's confronting us in our uh, way of being human, and he's saying, not so with you. It's that way with the Gentiles, it's that way with the pagans, it's that way with these people, but not so with you. And it's fascinating that in this text, he actually attaches a very clear statement that, that is kind of haunting. He says this, love your enemies, pray for those who, who persecute you, so that what? So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That loving your enemies... Praying for those who persecute you is one of the key signals to the world that God is our Father, that we know him, that he's taken up residence in our lives, that we surrendered to him, that we've been transformed by him. If you want to be a son of the Father, love your enemies. 
And then he goes on to say how much God loves those who are his enemies. Not just your enemies, maybe, but he's saying the people who are God's enemies, he doesn't withhold the sun from them. Every day it rises to meet them. Every day is an invitation to every single person as the sun rises to meet the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he's saying, I love you. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, and every time it does on the unjust, God is trying to woo them back. He's trying to let them know that even though you've rejected me, even in your rebellion, even in your lack of care for me or my children, I still love you. I won't stop. I won't won't change the world to punish you, even in your rebellion. Actually, what I'm doing is I'm seeking you. I'm pursuing you. I'm creating space for you to love me back. And Jesus just continually starts to bring us into this reward of heaven, right? He's saying, so if you just love people who love you, there's there's no reward for that, right? And and we'll get into this in the future passages where he said, if if you give in public where people praise you, there's no reward in heaven because you've traded the praise of God for the praise of man. He said, no, 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 there's no reward for just loving those who are kind to you. If you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? He's just, he's inviting us into this upside down kingdom, right? Where all the ways that we've been taught, it's okay to do this. If, if person A does this, it's okay for person B to respond this way. And it's just amazing how much so many of those cultural things have made their way into the church and into Christians' lives. And they go unchallenged as we deal in relationships with each other. Right? Well, it's okay for you to do this because they really hurt you, right? And, and, and then we go and read the gospel and Jesus is like, no, 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 that's actually not okay. That's not okay. It's not okay. So uh, I, I want to lead us to uh, Ephesians and I'm just going to read the verse. And this is a, a Greg Dewey classic. And I don't know where he got it from. Not the verse. I'll get his, his idea about the verse. He didn't write Ephesians in case you were wondering. Uh, but I'll give him credit for the quote. But it says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul wants us to get this really clear as Christians in the world, as those who have come alive in our spirits to who God is, as Greg would say, if it has flesh and blood, it isn't your enemy. That's just the bottom line for all believers. If they have flesh and blood, they are not your enemy. So you have to reorient yourself. Whenever we get opposed to someone, whenever we get on other sides, whenever we feel like somebody's attacking us, we have to remind ourselves, wait, wait, wait. Okay, they've got flesh and blood. Oh, well, they're not my enemy. I have an enemy, but it's not the person. It's actually the spiritual force and the power that that person might be allowing to come through them or onto you, but it's not the person. And, and I think this is really big because it allows us to identify the real source of the battle, right? The, the, the real enemy. And allows us to detach that person and actually begin to see the person as the beloved of God, right? Because many times we run into situations and we deal with people who are confused and they're broken and they've received a lot of pain and grief and suffering and trauma, and it would look like they're our enemy, like they're trying to destroy us, and we've got to be able to separate the person from what's happening. And it's interesting, because I think um, 
if we're honest, it's really easy to see ourselves clearly or see everyone else clearly and not see ourselves. Like to, to not think that that person actually sees us as the enemy, <laughs> that, that, that we might be the one who has a problem. Um, you know, the heart above all things is deceitful. That, that's a verse that gets forgotten really easily anytime there's conflict arises that I might actually not see the situation really clearly. Like, I might not have clear sight on this thing. Uh, but when you start to see um, the true enemy operating behind these things, you start to see with spiritual eyes. You start to see beyond flesh and blood, beyond the material, beyond the situation to what's happening in that different place. So in, in this, I just want to... It's not super complicated today, but, but it's just like everything with Jesus. The, all the commands of Jesus are extremely simple and extremely difficult. And, and, uh, and, and there's some keys in there that I want to walk through. But today, what are we called to do with our enemies, right? And, and so again, I, I want to make sure we're going to talk in, the, in this enemy talk, remembering that the person's not our enemy, but also remembering like you may be their enemy, <laughs> And they might not have spiritual sight. So you've got to think about, well, they're treating me like an enemy even though I don't see them as an enemy. But how do I, how do I deal with that? How do I walk through that? And it's Jesus like, okay, here's, here's what you do. You love them. You love. And, and um, I feel like we need to qualify this because the, the church hasn't always done a good job. This, this passage is not about someone who's abusing you physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's not about staying in at all costs. Like this, this is about in very like normal circumstances and where they are abnormal, it's God telling someone to walk through those things, not you, <laughs> right? Like, um, like I was reading this morning about uh, the, the early saints and how they would willingly walk into torture and abuse and martyrdom for the sake of the gospel, right? So they can choose to do that, but I can't tell them to do that. <laughs> I can't say you're not a good Christian if you don't do that. You need to do that. Like, no, no, no. Like, the Lord has to tell them to do that. But this, I want us to see this context in the midst of, like, very normal, everyday things. In business, in family, in relationships, with your next-door neighbor, if you get in the midst of some kind of squabble between them. Like, what does it look like for us to love our enemies? And in and, and love, I just want to kind of... What does that look like? I was just thinking about this active, willful blessing of the other. Like, like love isn't just like, because I think what Christians get into is we say we love people and then we do nothing and it equals love. But Jesus said love looks like this. It's me leaving heaven, coming here and demonstrating. The incarnation is what love looks like. It's leaving one place to be near someone else. Love is presence. It's a commitment to be near. So literally, Jesus is saying this. He said, to love your enemies is to make a commitment to draw near to them when, you're, when your gut instinct is to draw away. Right? And, and, and again, this like makes me want to throw up. Like, <laughs> like, just like, when you're in the midst of something, the last thing you want to do is be with the person you're having conflict with to be near them, to be around them. And what do we do? When we have that happen, we start setting up boundaries, right? We stop getting invited or we stop inviting and we start setting up all these hedges to protect ourselves from that person or that situation. And Jesus just kind of blows that up. He says, no, 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 actually it's the opposite 
um, uh, Annie's aunt, Davidine, has discipled her, and it's really interesting because she's like, I, she doesn't believe in timeout as a discipline for children. She's like, I don't believe in timeouts, unbiblical. And Annie was like, well, well, that's interesting. It's a strong statement, <laughs> right? And she's like, no, no, you know why? Because God never sends you away when you're in trouble. He never sends you away. He never isolates you. He always draws you near. The heart of God, whenever you mess up, isn't that you would go away under punishment. It would that you would draw near to him and that your heart would be transformed. Okay? Now, if you're doing timeout, I know you've got all the arguments in your head about that. That's fine. The point is, right, God's position towards us. When you mess up, God is not sending you away. What's interesting is when God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, what did God do? God left the garden with them. God didn't stay in the garden and send them out. He actually, he, he allowed them, he like, okay, you've got to leave, but guess what? I'm going to give up the garden too, and I'm going to go with you out into this scary new world. So love looks like active Willful blessing, 1 Corinthians 13, which is, I think, something we need to memorize. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is just saying, listen, all of the stuff that you can build your life on that other people are really impressed with, if it's done without love, God doesn't care. <laughs> He's not impressed. It doesn't gain you anything. Love, that's it. Love, love it. And what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's on the opposite. If it's envious, it's not love. If it's boastful, it's not love. If it's proud, it's not love. Love's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. So again, the opposite, like if it's rude, it's not love. If it's self-seeking, it's not love. If it's easily angered, it's not love. If it's keeping records of wrong, it's not love. And this is the difficult one. We love records. I love records of wrong. I love keeping score. That's why I love sports, because you know who wins and who, who loses, and you love to win, right? And one of the biggest things God has had to work on me over and over throughout the years is just not being grudgy, not keeping a record, right? So the statement is, if someone shows you who they are, believe them, right? And you're like, that's true, but that's not the gospel, Jesus is like, show me who you are, and then I'll transform you to make you like me. And I love you anyways. Like, I, I just, the Lord has just constantly forcing me to, like, take that record and rip it up and start fresh. And when you sit down with people, when you talk to people, when you deal in family, to not remember, right? The wrongs exist, and they're real, but we can't operate out of that remembrance, Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So love, love isn't happy when other people suffer or their mistakes catch up with them. Doesn't rejoice in karma. <laughs> it doesn't exist, but it also doesn't rejoice in that, right? It doesn't say, oh, see, they finally got what they deserved. No, 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 love mourns when people get what they deserve. And then they show up with grace to say, yeah, 
You know what? You don't deserve grace, but I'm going to come in with it. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. This, that's such a huge statement for our world because no one believes that anymore. Right? I, I think you could say, you go out in the world and say, love always fails. <laughs> love always loses. <laughs> right? But Jesus is the one who's willing to lose in the moment to love people. But he said this, Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And I think for us, this is just something that we all likely need to really grow in. What does it look like to love, to actively, willingly bless people who have been um, unkind, unjust, unfair um, toward us? What does it mean for us to like actually draw near to them? Um, the second thing Jesus says is, is, is to do that in the active material realm, to like actually physically love someone. The other thing he says is to, in the spiritual realm, to pray for them. To actually use your time with God as you're drawing near to God to bring them near to God. And what's amazing is what I've found is when I pray for people that I, that I am struggling with, my heart begins to melt. Because it's really hard to keep a hard heart while you're asking God to bless someone. And you're asking God to bless them in all measures. God bless their family, bless their marriage, bless their children, bless their, their, their business, <laughs> bless their finances. God just... Like, literally pour out your love in their life. And there's only so long you can do that with, like, gritted teeth. You're either going to stop or you're going to be transformed. Like, those are the two, <laughs> the two ends of that process, right? And we know that stopping isn't really an option for the follower of Jesus. So we intercede for, for God to bring them close so that he may bless them, that God would draw them near, you know, because what we kind of don't want is for us to be in the presence of God where we're pouring out our complaints and to look over and see them there too. <laughs> Especially if you're having conflict with a Christian. You know what they're doing? They're going into God's presence and pouring out their complaints about you to God, <laughs> right? Like, just, just to be, like, candid about it. So, so we're just like, so the great thing is what we do is we actually say, oh, it's good you're here, <laughs> Right? Because we're both before God. We're both here. And God is likely the one who needs to work this out. So what, as we do that, right, like, and again, this all sounds great on paper. It's like, you're like, oh, this sounds really good. Till like tomorrow, <laughs> somebody makes you angry and they're just like, oh, I'm bringing, like all the, the you know, the disciples are like, Jesus, should we call down fire on them? <laughs> you know, it's like, they're like, this is the, that's what we are. We read that and we're like, what a bunch of ridiculous, like, guys. And you're like, no, no, that's my nature. I'm like, fire, Jesus. You know, and so tomorrow it's like, what I know doesn't work, and I've tried this tons of time, is willpower. So, so our nature is to just go to, okay, how do I do this? How do I get a plan? Here's my steps, and I'll work it through, and it's just like, it just doesn't work. And, and what, I, what I was praying about this week as we, as we would talk about this is just for Jesus to give us, because we know the flesh doesn't work. You can't do this in the flesh. You can't do this through willpower. You can't do this through trying harder. You can't do this by just trying to go to church more and being a better person. 
This is like supernatural work that Jesus invites us into. So that, that's why I want to see that. And the beautiful thing is the gospel, all the things that Jesus asks us to do is supernatural work that he wants to do in and through you, that he's inviting you into. He's not inviting you into just obey a list of commands. He's inviting you to tap into the power of God and live supernaturally. So what we need first is we need spiritual sight to see beyond the flesh, right? It has flesh and blood. It's not our enemy. So the first thing we need is, is a transformation of vision. And what I've come to realize is God has had to absolutely transform day by day how I see other people, right? Because in the world's way, I saw people as competition, right? Like we're competing for all sorts of things. We're competing for grades. We're competing for sports. We're competing for girls. We're competing for that job. We're, all the things. And so human beings are seen really many times as like a threat to the life that I'm trying to build and the things that I want. And the transformation is to see each human being I come into contact with as, as an image bearer of God, as a child that he loves. So that spiritual sight begins to transform, and we see, again, that they aren't our enemy. They might be controlled by our enemy, but we need spiritual sight also to see ourselves really clearly to make sure that, that we're not deceived, <laughs> that we're actually cultivating something that God is not wanting. So I'm going to run through some verses that will help us here, and I just encourage you, you can run along with me, or um, it'll be like a sword drill. Anybody compete in that, right? Isn't that funny? Even if you turn that into a competition, you're like, oh, I, I, I crushed that kid today in Bible drills. Wasn't that awesome? It's great. First Corinthians 2. I'm not saying the, the scripture numbers, so you might want to just listen. So the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. If you want to love your enemies, you have to have a, an active relationship and knowledge and understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works and what does it mean for him to dwell in you. Because guess what, guys? He searches all things. The Spirit of God who lives in you searches all things, even the deep things of God. If you want the deep things of God, get to know the Holy Spirit. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So what's crazy about it is the Holy Spirit who lives in you actually knows the thoughts of other people. Isn't that weird? Like the Holy Spirit lives in you and he wants to work in these ways and relationships and he can actually give you insight into what's happening in another human being so that you, not that you can win, so that you might love them the way he loves them. He can give you insight into their pain, into their trauma, into their difficulty, into their fear and allow your heart to be changed. So we haven't received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So our first position is in gratitude for what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God for their foolishness, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this is a thing like, like, this whole thing about the Sermon on the Mount is spiritually discerned. Your spirit has to be engaged. The Holy Spirit in you has to be engaged if you are to understand it and try to live into it. It's not something you just try really hard to do. <clears throat> Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of spiritual worship. 
Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of his mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. How do you approve God's will, especially in these contexts of how you're dealing with other people? You worship, you renew your mind with God's word, and then you test the thing that's happening and see what his, what his opinion is on this. But many times we go to God after we've done all the stuff, and we're like, oh Lord, I, I said this, I did this, I made this decision, now would you help me or would you bless the thing that I thought was really wise? Rather than say, you know, I've got a conflict in my life. I've got someone who feels like an enemy. I feel like they're working against me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to spend lots of time in worship. I'm just going to worship God. (laughs) And then I'm going to read his word. I'm going to let his word renew my mind and my heart. I'm going to let it wash over me again and again these things, these deep spiritual truths before I do anything before I make any decisions, before I say any words, before I, I make any turns in these things. Ephesians 5 says, walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The only way to discern what's pleasing to the Lord is to be walking in the light. If you're walking in the darkness, you have no sight. Philippians 1, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, right? So love abounding in you starts to shift your vision. You start to see with different eyes. Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the word of God is so key here that we're engaging with it so that his word, his living word, and by the spirit, he might judge our heart and attitudes, right? And so so as, as believers, we actually live really humbly under the word of God, under the spirit of truth. We come under that. And the last, I love Hebrews 5, says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have, ha- who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. <laughs> like, this is so beautiful. So, so that walking with Jesus and the power of the Spirit is to have your powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Constant practice. So I think what happens to us is we get in situations in lives and we in our lives and we get at odds with people, we get sideways, and because we haven't been in the constant practice of the presence of God in his word, we say things and we do things that don't actually come from him and they actually add to the conflict. They add to the pain, they add to the distance. I read the quote last week about how vengeance, how getting even just ties you to the escalator of pain, <laughs> right? It ties not just you, but the other person to this escalator of pain, and at some point you have to choose to get off. Even if it means you losing what seems to be like something that's not your fault, something you didn't contribute to, something that's so unfair, and Jesus is just inviting you to step off the escalator. and Just say, I'm done with that pain. I'm done with that pain. And you actually, in doing that, are releasing the other person as well. <clears throat> so I've got some bad news for you before we get to the good news. So the bad news 
is that the Christian life that you've heard about your whole life, if you've been in church your whole life, all the commands of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, are actually impossible without the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just impossible. So what I want to do is save you from the just discouragement and disillusionment that comes from trying to be a Christian without the, like, the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, and, and Jesus this morning is inviting you to give up that thing because it is religion, right? It's what Jesus was trying to rescue the Pharisees from, of obeying all the rules and getting everybody else to obey all the rules. And if everyone just obey all the rules, everything would be fine. And guess what? It did not work. 400 years of the Pharisees' lives added up to nothing. The whole thing disappeared. The temple got destroyed. The Pharisees, all of their their sect and all their things just went away. It doesn't exist, right? Because religion doesn't change people, and it's not actually possible. Jesus is inviting you to be transformed by his presence and by his power. And so Romans 12, we go back to that, and he says, first, worship, right? Right? First worship, get in the presence of God, and then from the presence of God comes spiritual power for you to do things that you could never imagine doing otherwise. That's what, that's what, when you get in the presence of God, the field of possibility changes, the ceiling raises, right, of what's actually possible, because now God's involved, not just, not just who you are, not how smart you are, not how much money you have, not how many good relationships you have, and you know, equity that you've built with other people. It's like, no, it's not about that. Because even that, you can have all of those things and still have a really small sphere of, like, agency to change. Isn't it amazing, especially, like, um, the people who struggle in most in life in conflicts are the people who have the most power, who have the most worldly options. Because there's nothing more frustrating than to be able to change everything in your life but a person. You cannot change the heart of a person. I don't care how much money you have, how much power you have, you cannot change the human heart. And that can be like crushing to someone who feels like they have control over every other area of their life. (laughs) But I can't get that person to change their mind or their heart or forgive me or whatever. So you come to the end of yourself. So I want to be the kind of people who actually seeks the presence of God and expands that possibility. So uh, Isaiah 2, I read this with some friends a few weeks ago. It says, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word, from the, of Lord, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. And listen what happens. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to take your relational spears <laughs> and the way you've been defending yourself from people and justifying yourself and rationalizing your actions and, and just making sure that everyone knows that you are in the right and he wants to come and transform that into something that brings peace, right? But how does it happen? It says, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. The presence of God is first so that he may what? Teach us his ways, So first comes the power and presence of God. Second comes the practices. If you get the practices before the presence, you'll just be trying to earn God's favor. You'll be on the hamster wheel of religion. And you will be exhausted, and someday you will just step off. And the sad thing is you will have been rejecting something that wasn't actually God. 
It wasn't what he asked you to do. It wasn't what he wanted for you. It was a lie of the enemy. The enemy loves the hamster wheel. If he can just keep you on there, trying harder, doing better, doing more, more podcasts, more books, you know, whatever it is, like just do more. And Jesus is like inviting you to just come in his presence so that he can teach you his ways. So it's like this. It, it, it goes presence, power, practice. And I, I just want to encourage you, like, don't try these things if you haven't been in the presence of God. If you haven't received his power to do them. Like, don't even try them yet. Like, just, just go be in his presence. Let him do that for you. Because what happens is when we try the things of Jesus outside the power of God, we do them in our ways and we end up hurting people. Right? Because it's, it's not him working through us. It's our version of his laws lived out through our kind of ways and it ends up, again, in religion. So get in the presence of God, let his power pour out in your life, and then walk really humbly in trying these things in real situations. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to sing a little bit more. We're just going to practice this, right? We're just going to invite the presence of God. What I want you to do is, as we sing, as we take communion, as we Listen to the voice of the Spirit. I just want you to like, not even think yet about loving your enemies. Don't even like, think about that person who would say, man, that person's the one. I just want you to think about him. Can you just fix your eyes on Jesus? That's a great song. <laughs> just fix your eyes on him. Go into his presence. Let his power begin to shape you. And I, I just trust so deeply that he will show you what to do. He will tell you the actions to take, the words to say. He'll begin to shape your motives, the attitudes of your heart. He can do it. Um, I want to read a story <clears throat> to close that just kind of illustrates this. So um, I'll read the story, and then we'll stand and pray, and we'll invite you to take communion. We've got stations down here. We've got a gluten-free in the back. And the band will just lead us in worship, and here's what I really want. My heart really wants us to take worship focused on him. And uh, we've talked about this before. I know the tendency, you see your buddy, you want to fist bump, and, and like, let's just focus on his presence to end this. And when we're done, we'll have plenty of time to catch up and talk. Um, but again, I think what the world needs right now is a Christianity based on presence. Like they've gotten Christianity based on rules and expectations and religion and you know what's happened? They've rejected it. <laughs> and so what revival is, is when the church rediscovers the presence of the risen Christ. Falls in love with him, fresh, surrenders to him, and lets him live his life through us, not us trying to live his life on our power. So, a lady named Corrie Ten Boom <clears throat> helped Dutch Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust. They were eventually caught. She was sent to the Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp with her sister Betsy, who later died there. She endured unimaginable horrors, yet her life was marked by an unshakable trust in her Heavenly Father and was punctuated by prayer. She seems to almost have lived in continual conversation with God, asking and trusting her heavenly father for everything. She said this, if a care is too small to be turned into a prayer, it's too small to be made into a burden. It's good advice for today. 
praying in this way, the two sisters managed to live with extraordinary joy until the day that they were transferred to a dormitory infested with fleas. Finally, they began to despair. What possible purpose could their loving father have in allowing their dire conditions to get worse? But then they noticed uh, that the brutal camp guards refused to enter the new quarters for fear of the fleas. They realized that God was using the fleas to provide them with a safe place for ministering to other prisoners undisturbed. Somehow they begin to even thank God in heaven for the fleas. <laughs> they loved God. They wanted to be in his presence. Several years after the war, Corey Ten Boom was speaking about her experiences in Munich when one of her former SS guards approached her at the end of the service. So think about this. A man who is directly responsible for her abuse and trauma and terror comes up to her. How grateful I am for your message, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. Mm. And I, she says, his hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? <laughs> Guys, this is transformative. Your life could very easily be defined by, are you going to require more from people than the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? Is that enough for the person in your life to be forgiven, to be loved? Is his price paid? Or will you say, no, 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 it's going to be Jesus plus some penance. It's going to be Jesus plus some, you know, like changed behaviors. And, or are we going to move into where he said, that work's finished. She said, Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I love that she started with herself. She said, forgive me, Lord, and forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. It's the presence of Jesus. In the moment, <laughs> he can meet you. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness, she prayed. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it's not our forgiveness anymore, it's not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. So I love that. Jesus doesn't just give the command. He actually wants to pour out his love in your heart, which will flow to the person. So would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for us that Jesus would meet us in this moment just with his love. Before we even move on to what you're going to do with that love, might you just meet him in the in the elements in the bread, in the cup, in his blood, in his body shed for you, might you meet him freshly in his love for you. Like you would know how deeply and profoundly you are loved and have been forgiven of every thought, attitude, action, past, present, and future. He has covered it all. Because if you haven't been transformed by that, there's nothing past that. And if you're like me, you need constant transformation. I need constant reminder of his love, his sacrifice, his grace for me. So Jesus, we invite you in this moment to meet us in your grace and mercy and compassion, not just for all of human beings, but for me. 
And so, Lord, would you transform us by your love? Lord, I pray for those in here who are carrying pain and hurt from people. Lord, that you would just meet them in that. You would rush in. You would flood their hearts with your love, Jesus. You would secure them and root them in your love this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your love. And we just welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this moment to do the work that only you can do, to comfort, to teach, to guide, to confront. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just sing and worship. You can take communion as you feel, feel led around the room. We might sing a couple songs. I'm not sure. We'll just see kind of what God wants to do.